the real bad dudes cast. We're doing obscure stuff. Sequel to Cronenberg's uh, The Fly. Listen. Do you hear it? It's getting closer. Much closer. Don't be afraid. Be very, very afraid. <laughs> You could finish your father's work. You're as brilliant as he was. Something odd is happening to me, and I don't know what it is. getting worse. I'm getting better. The Fly 2. Like father, like son. Directed by the person who also did the visual effects of the first movie, Chris Wallace. Um, Wayless. Oh, Wayless. Oops. I'm got an Academy Award for that, too. Uh, that's our special guest, Tom Sullivan. Hello. He worked on this really small film, uh, The Evil Dead. <laughs> <laughs> did the, the book and the dagger and the effects, right, right? That's correct. Makeup, the gore, <laughs> the stop motion finale, the clay animation I did with Bart Pierce. Right. What fun. <laughs> And uh, I'm also with uh, Wolfman. Hey, how's it going, everybody? And General Lott. Good day. So, Tom, what all did you do on the uh, Fly 2, and how did you uh, how did you get you know hired and all that fun stuff? Um, uh, I got a call from uh, Carol Wayless. That was uh, uh, Chris's wife at the time, and uh, they were looking for sculptors and uh, people for some concept stuff as well as uh, assembling. Um, uh, kind of parts of molds, uh, you know, from other films, Gremlins, and other things that Chris Whale's uh, Industries had worked on. Because <clears throat> they were going to have a, uh, there was talk of a scene for Fly 2 where there was um, a room of all the uh, teleporter, um, uh, you know, uh, tests where they try to put animals through and they'd all horribly mutated. But they were going to have like a freezer full of these things, and uh, so we came in and they had that. But I think the first thing we did was uh, coming up with uh, maquettes of uh, possible Fly Two creatures, what uh, Eric Stoltz would morph into at the end. Interesting. It just seems like it'd be so difficult trying to do a sequel to a movie with Jeff Goldblum in it and Cronenberg. But I think, uh, you know, I think uh, obviously you guys nailed it. Um, it was different enough, uh, really creepy enough. Really gory, graphic, and yeah. really icky. You're right. I So I'm recommending, and I'd say it's a definite recommendation. I'd say if you uh, enjoy the first one, you're going to love this one. Um, and if you consider yourself like a, a sci-fi or a horror fan, I mean, if you haven't seen the first one, you got to put it on your list and watch it. And I think this is a, a great follow-up, and this is definitely different enough to where they both stand on their own. I also add in for the, those that uh, love practical effects, it's really worth it just to see what 
uh, the crews came up with there. Right. Because it's a pre-digital, of course, and uh, it's actually, you know, a good-sized film. Right. Oh, lots. Uh, as, as for me, I do recommend the film as well. Uh, I've always been a big fan of both uh, Fly 1 and 2. In fact, I've even seen the original from the uh, 1950s. And sure. a lot of those uh, 80s remakes of old 50s movies generally kind of fall flat. The Fly took what was a fairly goofy concept of some, somebody running around with a fly head uh, and turned it into something that was, I don't think it's actually really been rivaled even to this day. Uh, the practical effects they used on the Brundlefly still look positively amazing. I mean, I don't think CG oh. could even come close to that. No. Yeah, that's uh, uh, Stefan Depew and uh, uh, this brilliant makeup artist. Uh, he uh, worked on uh, uh, History of Violence, another Cronenberg film, and uh, uh, many other things, just many other things. And uh, uh, the crew there was really amazing and really talented group of people at uh, Chris Wayless Industries. And uh, uh, I later got to uh, one of the uh, crew chiefs there, the supervisors, was John Berg, who had uh, uh, worked on Star Wars, the, he co-animated the chess sequence uh, on the Millennium Falcon, and uh, then uh, uh, supervised the uh, Hoth uh, at-at battle thing, you know, with all those... Wow. Slow, uh, those stop motion ad apps and uh, all that. that that's just amazing to me and uh, so I got to meet him and uh, uh, fascinating guy just uh, well had similar childhood to dad who didn't get us you know but uh, <laughs> we saw King Kong uh, at an early point and it just flipped the switch and had to do that and uh, he did plenty of animation in fact he uh, John was working for uh, was it Cascade uh, down in L.A., and uh, back when they were making the, the very first uh, Green Giant commercial, and he's the Green Giant in one of them. Wow. When I've seen it on TV, it's like, yeah, I, I that's remember John. Those as a you know, kid. Kind of his frame. But one of the very first live action, you know, he's kind of like backlit and looming over the uh, the bean field. <laughs> That's what I remember those commercials as a kid. But uh, yeah, it, but it was just a, a great time, and then also the crew when they weren't working on uh, Fly Two, uh, you know, for other films, uh, ILM was just down the road, just a couple miles away, and uh, that that was awesome. <clears throat> Certainly sounds it. Uh, as for the Fly Two, when it comes to horror sequels, they're almost always horrible, or or they're like. 20, 30 years after the fact and have next to nothing to do with the uh, original film. What the Fly 2 did, it takes place, like, I think almost immediately after Fly 1 and actually continues with the characters and things of that nature. And on the surface, you would think that Fly 2 is going to just be, you know, a, a basic monster mash kind of thing with different mutants wandering around, but it actually has a fairly intelligent plot. And as with Fly 1, uh, pretty sympathetic characters all around. Uh, Eric Stoltz puts in a pretty, pretty good performance. Uh, makes you wonder what he would have done in Back to the Future. Which is funny because uh, his name is Martin, so you just call him Martin McFly in this, I guess. <laughs> Martin <laughs> McFly. He, he turns into Martin McFly. Martin McFly. <laughs> uh, so overall, I, of course, recommend both films. I even recommend watching the original 50s version, if only just to see where it came from. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, you need to. Now, uh, Cronenberg definitely put his spin on this, mm-hmm. his idea of how oh, technology and other things can like mutate us and transform us and in all kinds of ways, you know, scanners and uh, all the bug things and, uh, oh, you know, the way uh, television morphs us and, uh, uh, oh, what's that darn thing? With James Woods. Um, te- uh, tele- oh. oh, gosh. Oh, my gosh, now I'm blanking. Uh, Videodrome? Videodrome, that's it, yeah. I'll and, never forget uh, that. I'll never forget that trip out scene where like the dude's chest looks like a VCR thing and it's like pulsating wanting for like to tape in. <laughs> yep. Uh. But uh, so you know he's that this is like uh, the fly his fly film is just definitely his take on it. You know like Tim Burton would have done his thing with it and uh, Cronenberg <laughs> made his you know very original and disturbing stamp on it and. Uh, I like how uh, Chris's thing still has a lot of Chris's uh, sequel has a lot of invention in it, uh, a lot of clever things going on, and uh, good performances. You know, out of out of Little Martin and the kid, and everybody's good in it. Good right. tension. It wasn't uh, it wasn't a carbon copy of the first movie. They they sort of took similar plot beats and then they went off no direction and you know made it something completely different. Uh, Wolfman, what are your non-spoiling thoughts on recommend or not? It's, it's an absolute recommend, and I'm in the same boot. Uh, boot. What am I, Canadian? <laughs> I'm in the same boot, boot with boot. everybody. Um, <laughs> what's all this a boot? No, seriously, I absolutely recommend this. Uh, the '80s was the golden year for horror movies for me, and um, I personally, the, the uh, they have tried to do a lot of remakes of original movies from the '50s, and there was only two movies that actually did it right. The first is obviously John Carpenter redoing the thing, and the second was when Cronenberg did The Fly. And I was pretty skeptical about The Fly, too, because the same stigma about sequels and such, but I was pleasantly surprised, and all for the same reasons. I mean, Eric Stoltz was a very excellent actor. You know, it's... The special effects were simply amazing. I mean, I'm a big fan of stop-motion and claymation myself, and, you know, I grew up watching King Kong as well and The Lost World, and I love that sort of stuff. Jason and the Argonauts. You, you show you me stuff that's, stuff like that, it, it, it just blows me away. And, and then when I, I saw The Thing, Cronenberg did the same thing, no pun intended, as The Thing, you know, where it, it modernized it, it made it relevant to that generation, and made it even more scarier. Or The Blob. And remake. the cool thing... The Blob remake, yeah, I, I'd say so. But The Fly 2 was the only one that had the nerve to go forward with that, though. I mean, you didn't see The Thing 2. You didn't see The Blob 2. You had The Fly 2. <laughs> and the cool thing about The Fly 2 was is that it had the nerve to try to go that's you know with the same story and the same universe that David Cronenberg put together. And if you can kind of hang with Cronenberg, I mean, that just that's a testament to itself. So this is a definite recommend. The actors did a fantastic job. The set pieces were fantastic. Music score was nice and jarring. It kind of it, it had tones of Cronenberg without having Cronenberg in it. So it's not like you were watching The Brood and you're going, oh, what am I watching? But you, you were able to enjoy it, and it, it was well-paced, and everything was really, really good about it. I highly recommend it. All right. Well, I guess we'll go into spoilers and kind of talk about the overall plot. In the beginning, there was uh, not Gina Davis, because <laughs> uh, from what I heard, uh, 
she was so terrified from that maggot birth scene. I, I, <laughs> I've heard two different stories. One, that was the reason she didn't want to turn. Another was because uh, it was a small role, so I don't know which exactly is true. But, uh, so yeah, it starts out, we get the a fly, the son of uh, the character from the first movie. The character from the first movie was Seth Brundle. So yeah, we get the birth scene, it's all in like a grody cocoon thing, and unfortunately, uh, Jan Davis' character doesn't survive, and then they rip open the cocoon, and it's a human baby, you know? <laughs> and, uh, as the plot's going on, he's quickly growing and becoming super intelligent. Um, growing at a rate about five times faster. Right. <laughs> Which makes some other things that happen later on in the film questionable, but we'll get to that soon. <laughs> uh, um, so, yeah, as a kid, we're also he's also escaping, sneaking out of the nighttime, befriends um, a uh, golden retriever. Everyone in this film is an asshole to him. Like, these scientists are just dicks. Which makes the payoff later on in the film, I guess, more, you know, sad. But, yeah, we just got kind of... It definitely follows the theme of other 80s movies where it's usually, like, scientists or corporations, and they're they're usually evil, trying to, you know, doing evil science stuff. <laughs> evil. Because uh, <laughs> then later, uh, they do experiment on the, the dog and ends up mutating into this horrible creation. And then you think uh, like and then you think like, oh, they're gonna they're gonna kill this this poor dog, right? And it's just like, nope. Uh that scene. Holy moly. Jeez. Uh, I mean that was just sad. Uh, the dog actually kinda remind me of the uh what was it, a chimpanzee or something along those lines oh, in the first movie. Yeah. I mean the creature effects on these things, man. Maybe, I mean maybe, a lot of movies would, would, would ape this as time goes on. Level, yeah. yeah, so then eventually he grows up into uh Eric Stoltz, even though he's five years old. Yeah, he's restricted to the campus. Right. And uh his curiosity is driving them all over the place, so he's trying to, you know, right. find out what is going on there. And he meets that Bartok guy who is uh, the evil corporate head. Mm -hmm. And he sort of befriends him and tries to be, you know, sort of like, he befriends him so he can eventually use him up later on. Oh, yeah, well, to, to uh, figure out the, how they, why they can't get the teleporters working. Right. And, and I you think he can apply yeah, his genius to that. It's like, it's not hard. It's just have a biofilter. Star Trek does it all the time. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then he meets uh, Daphne, which uh, it was Mel Brooks who uh, suggested that she be hired for this film. Because I believe it was his film company that helped finance the yeah, sequel. Yeah, film. Yeah. No, that was uh, Beth Logan, correct? Yeah, that's the name of the character. That was a character name. Yeah, yeah, Beth Logan. And, of course, well, you know, she's a fairly okay love interest, but it's like, how is the logistics of this going to work <laughs> since he is um, half-fly, after all? Well, they haven't realized all that yet. He's just wondering why he's suddenly in his mid-20s, you know, and plus the incident with the dog. But then you know that's when they had the um, when they had the party, and then he found out that, that the dog from the previous experiment was still alive, and they had to euthanize it. Yeah, they did. Uh, yeah. horrible. Yeah, he euthanized. Yeah, he euthanizes it with uh, chloroform. It's one of those things where uh, you know Eric Stoltz really puts a lot of emotion into that because that could have easily gone really really cheesy, but thankfully it doesn't. Mm -hmm. uh, now of course there is the typical scene where you know you get the love interest and the main guy, and of course they have to fight. <laughs> 
and they all they do this all the time in movies, and it just I get why they do it, but eventually after the dog scene, uh, they end up reconciling. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, they reconcile uh, <clears throat> when they when they decide to get it on, and uh, <clears throat> technically he's five years old. I'm just saying. Well, you know, he, he's, he that's only in human years. He's really 25 in fly years, which I guess <laughs> makes sense. Uh, what? What's <laughs> your honor? I... <laughs> uh, did you also pick up that like earlier in the film he's like, I don't sleep, and then right after that scene he uh, falls asleep. Uh, one thing that ended up happening that's kind of funny is in the 80s, the computers were practically magic back then. You know, uh, like if you had a Commodore 64 back then, I guess you could just design a like a warp drive. Because how he ends up getting the uh, telepod, as they call them, to actually work is he programs the computer. Now, remember, this is an 80s computer. We're talking about kilobytes of RAM. We're talking about megahertz of processing speed. He, he, he gets the computer to be creative when it analyzes um, living flesh. Now, how a uh, 5 megahertz processor with 5K of RAM can do that, I'm not really sure. Maybe he just is a really efficient programmer. Uh, you know, he's able to teleport like a kitten without it dying. But it's like, I can't get over it. It's like, okay, wait a minute. You're running a Commodore 64 here, okay? And you're telling me that's powerful enough to do that. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah a kid hacked in the NORAD using a, th uh, a computer that could barely run WordPad. That's just scary. You know, in, I mean, in, in war games. And then, hell, drink, drunk Richard Pryor managed to put together a computer <laughs> that almost killed Superman. So if a Commodore 64 can do that, imagine what computers can do today. I know. Yeah, my, 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 I'm still working on getting the internet to work properly on my computer. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure we need uh, the Fly 3. <laughs> That'd be well, kind of interesting. They, 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 they touched on everything pretty good with the Fly 2. Right. Um, but then, of course, we get to, to uh, you know, oh, be, okay, we missed a, an important point of the film, even though it it's kind of obvious, but still, the fact that uh, it turns out that even though he b was birthed human, he has uh, sort of like fly genes that are like in a resting state, and that they've been, mm. you know, lying yeah, to him. Yeah. He does start transforming into um, Martin McFly. Is <laughs> <laughs> anybody else watching this as we talk? Huh? Watching no. this? No. Because I, I started the film when the conversation began, and you guys are picking up details. Are you talking about scenes just as they're popping through? I've got it on like number one wow. speed. So it's, but it's, wow. uh, I like awesome. that how they got Jeff Goldblum uh, shots, you know, clips from the original film, things that he had done in his little video diaries that uh, Martin can review in trying to figure out what's mm -hmm. happening to him. Right. That was I, nice that they brought him back through the archive footage like that, because everybody loves Jeff Goldblum. And sure. Yeah. I, this and this and is I, the it, part of the movie. Oh, go ahead. And they connected it. You know, it, it shows a connection. They remind you a couple of times that, yeah, this is uh, what has happened. This is the legacy of all that. And it, it's not happening. Yeah, but it does <laughs> that wonderful job. It does that wonderful job of reminding you what happened without forcing it on you, like like most sequels have a really bad problem with doing. Yeah, this Exactly. This is definitely. It could be a standalone movie, if if you've never seen the original or if you've never seen the original one. But you could literally watch this one and not have to have seen the other ones. But if you have seen the other ones, you get the aha, there he is, thing going yep. on. 
I think right. as a, I think growing up, I think I ended up probably seeing The Fly Two more on TV than the first one. I think about it. Now the, the the nice thing about this part of the movie though, this is when the magic starts happening. You know, like th this is when special effects really start kicking in. And like I said, I love practical special effects, and I hate CGI because it just it, it looks terrible on film. I, I, I'm one of those believers that feel that they kind of hit the peak with the original Jurassic Park, and then they've gone downward since. But this is when the magic starts happening. After the kitten experiment works out perfectly, and that's when he's, you know, when Martin starts thinking about how he can cure the condition, and then he's got that whole conflict going on, that, you know, that if he swaps out his mutated genes for healthy genes, you know, he's going to wind up turning whoever into a in, 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 into the fly. So they, they also had the good moral moment going on, too, where he doesn't kind of want to be like his father at the end. Right. But then, yeah, once the effects kick in, I mean, yeah, it's still uh, great work uh, done, uh, especially when he becomes well, the fly. <laughs> um, like the lake, like the scenes of the lake, like moving down the hallways and stuff was really 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 well done uh, i love the scene where he's on the couch at uh, her lake location or whatever and uh that has got this great blue light on him and he's starting to like cocoon up with right. uh, the webbing yeah and uh it's really effective because you can tell he, he's on his way that made me think of something. gremlins too <laughs> or you know when the, the gremlins are cocooning just the way it looked no, yeah, uh, I, I don't think Eric Stoltz ate after midnight, though. <laughs> when he uh, turned into the cocoon, uh, me and sculptor Howie Weed sculpted the cocoon. And uh, I'm proud to say there's one nice shot where they do like a, a camera dolly around it. And that's my side that I did. Uh, but it was uh, really learned a lot on that show, you know, because you've got to sculpt things, but they've got to be moldable and... Uh, mm -hmm. Get every, all, fit all the design requirements, and uh, and yet you want to add some of your own stuff into it. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, we come to the climactic ending, where you know he's transformed in the cocoon, and uh, you know Bartok begins uh, uh, asking Beth for this password because uh, while, but just before uh, Martin McFly, you know, hey, 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 uh, don't forget that scene where they have the dog attack him and he pets the doggy, which is actually <clears throat> a very important scene because it, it shows that, uh, he is different than his father on the way the mutations happened. You know, he still has a human, more of a human consciousness, He's less sort of fly like than in the first movie. You know, he basically becomes sort of like a, uh, more or less superhero by this point, because I mean, he's got, he's like fly man. He's the human fly. So he doesn't have to dye his underwear. Uh, oh, yeah. he's, he's got the genius intellect, you know, he, he doesn't need to sleep, he's got better reflexes than Spider-Man, you know, so he's got all the benefits, but none of the drawbacks yet. <laughs> so we get like a spinoff where he's fighting crime by spitting acid in criminals' faces? <laughs> hey, you know, he's an anti-hero, it's just what you did in the 90s. Um, basically, he, he uh, sets up a password for the uh, telepod so that Bartok can't use them. And uh, the whole climax of the film is Bartok's trying to get the password, and it's sort of like a uh, in a, in a really cool scene. We see uh, Martin McFly get out of the cocoon and just kind of kick the crap out of Bartok. I really like this part of the movie, actually. In fact, it almost pushes Fly 2 above Fly 1 in some respects because of how intelligently this was done. Since Marty McFly is able to still have some human intelligence, he actually gets 
Bartok to type in the password to open up the telepaths, which it's the worst password ever. Like, President Scrooge would oh, be. <laughs> yeah, the password is three letters, D-A-D. And no one thought to guess that, you know? It's just like. Hey. Well, it's not like that one stupid movie that we watched earlier, the 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 Predator ripoff. Where where they were where, where the nuclear warhead was answering sports <laughs> oh, <yeah>. questions. <laughs> okay, yeah, <laughs> that was a four lot. touchdowns in a single game, you know, at, at Polk High. Oh man. Oh, Code Red, the Rubicon <laughs> conspiracy. Uh, yep. But yeah, this is where yeah, it's I think really. Yeah, she's fine. So at the end, uh, Bartok Muffets for being such an asshole. All the yeah, scientists he... do actually. He ends up essentially <laughs> murdering all the scientists that were just terrible people. But this, I think, is the best ending of it all, though, because wait, what ends we, up happening... <clears throat> wait a second. Well, we are skipping over the fact that the, um, the character that was in the first movie that returns in this one, you know? Well, they mentioned that <laughs> one, because I want to talk about the ending, because I really okay. love this part. Okay, go ahead. Okay, okay. So what you got, what you got is uh, Marty McFly tosses Bartok into one of the... Tele it goes to the teleporter with Bartok, and he's, you know, fully restored to, hu to humanity, and Bartok it's the perfect head up and come up with. He gets turned into like this nasty looking creature. Right. And at the end of it, the end of it, okay, at the end of it, it and you know what's kind of funny? Batman Beyond uh, would actually go and sort of homage this with a character. I'm not going to spoil that one though, but uh, basically, <laughs> this basic sack of gelatin that can't even hardly do anything. And he notices a fly at the end. <laughs> It just kind of tortures him. It's like it's perfect. It's just it's perfect. It's a very yeah, happy end. Justice, right? Yeah, yeah. It's much like the dog sequence earlier, where the dog comes out and has to, you know, it's all right. tortured and hated. And, uh, mm -hmm. Now I've got a story about this because at the end they asked everybody in the shop at CWI uh, if they had an idea for an ending and they kind of set things up. You know, how do you get back at Bartok or whatever? And I had the idea that the uh, uh, that uh, Martin would pick, find a spider and, you know, force Bartok into the telepod and leave a spider in there. And uh, hmm. spider fly. <laughs> and then have him go through it. <laughs> that would have been so much to the original one with Vincent Price. Right, yeah. Uh, there was an alternate ending uh, to Fly 2, but it was just uh, it was just him and uh, Beth. They're kind of setting outside somewhere and she just asks if everything's okay, and he turns to her with one black eye, uh, just, you know, still, like, fly-ish, and he's like, everything's fine, everything's fine, and then they focus on flies on a plate of nachos. Not the nachos! <laughs> so I'm glad they went with uh, the, you know, more uh, comeuppance ending. Yeah. There's also a deleted scene, uh, which is worth finding and watching, because uh, it's actually hilarious. I'm glad they cut it, where uh, him and, uh, and uh, Beth... They stop by at a restaurant, and he's in the backseat of the car, and she's ordering mm -hmm. food, and these kids are, like, make, like making fun of him, like, you look weird. Da, da, da. So he, like, rolls down the window and pukes, but it's done from a side <laughs> camera angle. It's done from a side <laughs> camera angle where you can tell there's a hose by his mouth, and it, like, splatters all over the windshield. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, there's, a, there's a good reason why that was deleted. I've got another one. Uh, there was a, a screening for us at, uh, on the crew um, uh, at, a, at a theater, or a, a screening room somewhere. It was kind of cool. It wasn't a real theater. And um, 
they, they, it was like a almost finished rough cut, but they had put in a shot that was just too extreme to put in. It was so unbelievable. It would have kind of taken you out of the film. But <laughs> there's a scene where they've got there. It's a tour, it's at the finale, and uh, there's a. Uh, a uh, elevator and it's this like cage-like elevator you know coming down and uh, uh, a guard gets caught underneath it so that when it comes down it crushes his head now they had built a uh, skull of this guy you know I think with a silicone or gelatin head or something um, but it had a, a wax uh, skull and then had a I think an alginate head a brain inside of it or, you know, but some kind of material like that, and uh, you know, and then they dropped it with blood and everything, and so that the, the machine would come down and actually crush this dummy. And what happened in the take that they showed was it popped the the wax skull and shot the brain across the floor. <laughs> the camera angle was open up to that space, so it was like just the perfect, you know, start and stop of it. But, like, there's this whole brain, you know, and it just was, like, too much. <laughs> I was going to say, that scene was pretty uh, extreme in the theatrical version, so, yeah. I just like the idea of the flying brain, just blap. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been it, it would have been interesting to see. It really would have. Yeah, I don't. Uh, that reminds me of uh, another movie where some guy's head got squeezed and the brain like flies across the. <laughs> just a brain whistle. Uh, Maybe it was good they didn't use it. It would have been too much slapstick or slapstick for seriousness. Well, yeah, the image that I get in my head with the brain flying it would be like an Evil Dead Two when the eyeball got popped out. Yeah. Just that same sideways shot, like that—that's the image that I get in my head. Oh, he's thinking of uh, an Evil Dead Two when Henrietta gets her head stomped on, the eyeball pops out, and then the um, yeah, yeah. Across the room goes into uh, Bobby Joe's uh, mouth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hilarious. Some random trivia on the fly too. Uh, Keanu Reeves uh, was offered to play Martin, but turned it down. Uh, Speaking of uh, the effects works on this film. the the telepods in the film um Cronenberg, uh left him in his backyard so when the sequel came around they tried to use them but i guess they kind of they were just like were all falling apart and destroyed so they had to rebuild them from scratch wow Vincent and I also uh auditioned for the part of martin oh interesting i'm sorry who did vincent d'onofrio really yeah <laughs> Fresh out of a uh, full metal jacket. Yeah, I know that that's 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 just got me thinking. Private pile. <laughs> I could see him doing it because he was a talented enough actor. I mean, Eric Stoltz definitely fit the role because he's a really good method actor. You know, sometimes that's to his detriment because we all know the Back to the Future story by now. Yeah, but he was he, so method and fly too. He wanted people to call him by his character's name, and they even put his <laughs> character's name on his chair. <laughs> Uh, well, Method is becoming another lost art. Yeah, supposedly in the intro of the film, the green flashes of light uh, between each credit was actually uh, recycled or borrowed from alternate unused title sequence of the first movie. Hmm. Um, they did want to do another videotape of Seth Brundle, but they couldn't get Jeff Goldblum because that would have required him to go in the makeup chair, and so they just decided not to do that. Hmm.
they wanted Mel Brooks to cameo in Flight 2, but he was like, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, he likes his comedy. And that would be kind of weird. It'd be almost like a uh, uh, Hitchcock kind of thing. Oh, Josh Brolin was another actor that I was looking for, uh, Martin. Hmm. I had no idea. Well, yeah, they, they had a lot of good actors going up for that role. It's kind of sad that Fly 2 is as uh, obscure as it is today, because it's actually really well worth watching. It's surprisingly good. You know, most horror sequels are terrible. That's one of the things where, like, I've said it before in other uh, podcasts, but horror movies generally are stuck with an idea, and you just can't get multiple movies out of it. This is one of the few movies that could actually, uh, that was actually able to find that same magic a second time. Because, uh, like, you think about the fly, it's such a simple concept. It's guy turns into a fly. It's like, how are you going to make a sequel to that? I believe when this was originally released, I think it did get trashed on a bit. Uh, it definitely not... did not receive good reviews, but then again, who really cares? Right. Uh, the, the way that reviews go, especially back then, I don't take much stock into them because Agreed. the original Vacation movie was hated by critics. And that's one of the funniest movies I've ever seen in my life. So, how, how did Sangoria react to uh, Fly 2? Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> I had to look that up. Fangoria, I think, also kind of... I think Fangoria also wasn't too kind about it. But once again, it, it was one of those movies, and, and that, that's the other thing that I hate about reviews is, is like if you go on IMDb, IMDb it's one of those things where pe anybody can just put a number in, and then they take the other reviews, and then people look at that number, and they're like, oh, well, it's got a five, or it's got a four, and that's not worth watching. And, and, you know, people just need to watch a movie and not look at the number and make their own decision about it. The Fly 2 got low ratings, I remember that. But it was a really, really good sequel, especially considering what it was following. Sure. It, but it, it has that kind of built-in thing, or, oh, there's going to be a sequel to The Fly. Well, who's directing Matt Cronenberg? And uh, then you go, well, yeah. then it's going to be a whole different thing. And uh, it, it definitely has a different tone to it. But mm -hmm. it, it goes really dark, uh, like Cronenberg's film. And, and it feels, mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, has has a lot of that same rabbit hole of what's happening where where's this thing going kind of thing i think uh, and, uh, i think fly 2 is darker than the first movie because it's just like he's a kid he's rapidly aging he's a genius but like they're spying on him and they're all like jerks to him and you know uh according to what i found on internet archive fangoria <laughs> issue 1989 says fly 2 sprouts dregs whatever that's supposed to mean Ah, the hell with them. They, they have no idea what they... Fangoria was kind of going down at that point, to be honest with you. <laughs> what else do they say? Is that they thought the plot was flat, and I'm not really sure why they're saying that. And they actually complained that it was too slime-ridden, and it was just... Uh, what I'm getting from here is it's too gross, evidently. Yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Uh, they're saying it's not tightly scripted. They're saying it's not as well directed, which I have to disagree with. And they're actually, they're, from what the articles show, is they're saying the movie was too effects heavy and there wasn't a script, which is just an outright lie. 
So yeah, that's why you don't believe every review that you see because I think this whoever wrote that article likely never even saw the movie. So talk about yeah. a different time, complaining that there's too many effects. <laughs> yeah. yeah, see what I'm saying? You don't you, you don't buy into that junk. Uh, I know because Fly Two came out in the tail end of the '80s. I believe Total Recall was the last movie to use like pretty much complete traditional effects. Because in around yeah, after that time, Terminator 2, well, before that, The Abyss uh, came to the scene, and that's when they started really pushing CG for effects. The last Starfighter? Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. That's like 83 or 4. But, you know, that if you, I, I've got the Blu-ray of that, and it's amazing how video game that, the effects of <laughs> spaceship stuff looks in that. Yeah, that, 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 that was like the best graphics you could get out of a video game until probably the last couple of years for what they play with video games nowadays. <laughs> the the best endorsement that I had for The Fly 2 was that it was directed by Chris Wallace, who was a really good special effects artist, and he's a pretty competent director. Um, Chris Wallace, yeah. I, I believe he did. He, he Did he work with you um, in the in the effects department for The Fly 2? Well, uh, it was kind of interesting because uh, when I first arrived uh, at CWI, there were about, mm -hmm. oh, I don't know, seven or eight of us, and we're all sitting around at, with our little work uh, benches uh, sculpting these fly marquettes of what Martin might transform into. And they were all very different. And uh, uh, so we all came up with like two or three of these things each. And then mm -hmm. they laid them all out, and of course, uh, Chris came in and decided to do the one he he designed. <laughs> yeah. So, I guess he felt fun. he had seniority because of because he worked with the original. And I mean, you know, if anything, that was a good endorsement right there for Chris Wallace is that he did. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, unfortunately, but it, it did come out pretty good, I think. But I, uh, I do too. know that he. I, I'm sorry. It, it's like a fly. That's what I liked. You know, it had multiple arms and uh, was uh, really turning more into like a fly as though mm -hmm. that was going to be the dominant uh thing yeah see I, I remember he did work on um i know he did work on return of the jedi i know he did work on gremlins i he did work on the original fly not the not the vincent price one but uh, the cronenberg one he did arachnophobia i know he did some work on a couple tales from the crypt episodes as well and i think he also worked on scanners too yeah Ra he 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 also did um uh, the the melting face scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark, so I mean if there's going to be special effects uh, effects work done, you know he he definitely knows his job. I know he worked on the switch, which was the Arnold Schwarzenegger episode. So he worked under Schwarzenegger because he directed that episode, and the effects yeah. on that episode were really good. You know, so it, it, to me that was a good enough endorsement because just knowing. You know, like I said, I'm a big FX fan. So knowing what he had done in the past and how good of work he had done, you just know that when someone does work like that, they're not going to just give out like a subpar quality film. And not only that, he he was a really good boss, really agreeable. You know, no no, no authoritarian issues yeah. or anything like that. It was a good creative atmosphere. Uh, it had a collegiate uh, feel to it. I mean, for me, going from Evil Dead, where I'm kind of pulling this stuff out of hardwares in my kitchen sink, to then I worked on Evil Dead 2, <laughs> where I'm getting experience with, you know, the K&B guys and Mark Showstrom. This is before they were, just like before they were K&B, mm -hmm. but uh, Kurtz Minicatero and Berger. Um, but uh, they were there, you know, so I'm upping my game, or trying to, 
trying to keep up mm-hmm. with these guys, and, and they are amazing. Holy crap. I, nothing but admiration for their work. And where wow. they've gone, holy cow. But, um, and, but then when I uh, uh, moved out to San Francisco uh, with Penny, we, uh, I, I finally got that job, and uh, then that's like the college level where, you know, here's working with everybody who's worked on a number of films and uh, uh, went on to work on a number of, of cool films. And I um, uh, like uh, IMDb Howie Weed, uh, amazing stuff. And I met him uh, or, or really even before this stuff. It was after Evil Dead, but before Evil Dead 2, when we moved to San Francisco, I heard about a film being made, the something Disciples of Dracula or something, uh, low-budget film being made, but uh, applied for the crew and, you know, had my Evil Dead. I could tell them I worked on Evil Dead, but I didn't have anything to show for it. Uh, other than because it hadn't released yet, and um, uh, I met Howie there. We kind of rigged some special effects and tried some tests. I think of a melting Dracula head or something, and uh, I made it out of butter or I can't remember what it was. <laughs> but uh, then later on, I find out he's working at ILM, and uh, uh, met him again at uh, CWI, and uh, but uh, he's now like a digital animator. Worked on. Uh, uh, Phantom Menace and well, I think all of them. And uh, I'll just, oh, it's he's just amazing. Anyway, uh, that's me name dropping. <laughs> <laughs> Have you done many like interviews on the flight too at all? No, this is for my very first. Obviously, you're asked about you know Evil Dead a lot and stuff. And I'm like, I want. I'm like, I don't think anyone's really asked you know your work on the flight too. So. Well, I feel it should be talked about because it, it was a really good movie, and it's definitely an underrated one and an underappreciated one at that. Yeah, um, and uh, boy, I, it was, like I said, a really learning experience. Uh, I was one of the sculptors on the the full-size Fly 2 creature and uh, had four arms and uh, two legs. I sculpted the, the two legs it stands on, and uh, I did about 80% of the head of the thing. And uh, Kelly, one of the mechanical engineers, devised the mechanics. What we did was uh, you sculpt the the creature, then you make uh, castings of that, and then they um, fill that with a layer that's going to be the thickness of the skin and uh, devise where the mechanic, the shape of the skull or the understructure is going to be and where the movable points can be. And... um, uh, the, it seemed I had sculpted in some weird little things so that when Kelly had the eye blinking mechanism, mm-hmm. when it when the eye went up, it caused the uh, eyebrow to do a little interesting twitch, which was brought to my attention because it looked like a one of those unexpected happy accidents and mm-hmm. uh, that kind of thing. But uh, the mechanics that they had with all the cables, oh wow! I mean, this was quite a device. Because, you know, they, they had several versions of the fly creature. Uh, one, they had a, uh, a little person who would be in the legs, and then he was suspended on, a, like, a carriage that could be pushed, you know, had a counterweight and everything. So when they were doing shots of the thing walking down a hallway, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he's suspended and you're just shooting him from the legs down. And uh, then they had top views where somebody large would wear the top part, and uh, there'd be pe- cables coming out of uh, his back, and people could operate the uh, the forearms, you know, or, or the, mm-hmm. those kind of things. And uh, 
but has them made from front so you could shoot from the front and so you could shoot them from the back. And uh, then, you know, had the various ones to, to be, uh, uh, you know, stunt things. And uh, one was a springy thing, so it could actually do a leap because you couldn't put a suit on a person and do that. Yeah. But uh, the way, yeah, back, it, it was just uh, <clears throat> an encyclopedia of how to do practical effects back then. And then, they, of course, they did all those amazing, uh, the, the fly creature, when it, assault a couple of, uh, of the security guards and do the uh, stomach acid vomit onto them right. and their faces start eating away. And uh, that's really effective stuff. It looked like it hurt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it did. <laughs> Is there uh, any photos of your, the original flight design? Uh, not for me. We uh, we all signed, you know, like non-disclosure kind of things mm. and can't photos, and which is one of the shames of, of working you know, in a crew like that, because you get to do all stuff, but how do you, you know, you can show somebody the move. Well, I did that as it moves across the screen or something. And uh, I kind of preferred illustration where I get to keep my artwork and, uh, you know, I have something to show for it mm-hmm. that, you know, and actually own the property, that kind of thing. Right. You think uh, for the DVD or Blu-ray or something, they would, like, include concept art that they didn't use? Uh, yeah, yeah. It'd be, that'd be, uh, I'd love to see that. I think there is a, uh, one, uh, I think I've got it. I was looking for it earlier, couldn't find it. But I think I've got a, a version of, uh, the Fly 2 that had some special features. Uh, boy. But also, Howie did shoot a, uh, just interviewing the, the cast and everything and showing little bits of, of the film production. Uh, or of the, you know, at least the construction of the sets and things. And uh, uh, that's what I might be thinking of. But uh, So I guess we'll wrap up the fly, too. Um, do you have any uh, other, like, interesting behind-the-scenes or stories on the fly, too? Uh, well, um, I got, uh, well, just to work with this amazing group of people, um, uh Buzz Niedig, uh and Howie Weed and I were the were the sculptors, but there were a lot of people like pitching in. You know, John Berg did some, and uh, uh, they had these amazing uh, mechanical engineers: Kelly Lepkowski, Guy Hudson, uh, Mark Rappaport worked on uh, uh, was a mechanical engineer. He also worked on uh, Killer Clowns and lots of things. I think he's still working on it. I also worked on the first Tremors film. Uh, Don Bees. A uh, really talented guy, and also worked at ILM, and uh, got a couple of us uh, approval to go over and visit the ILM warehouse, where they had all these props. You know, the the Ark of the Covenant and the uh, Death Star, and uh, lots of my guns. And oh my gosh, it was uh, just amazing. And then I would have been so jealous. I love to they see had that. All the footage from yeah, Star Wars. What's that? I said me too. I'd like to have seen the Death Star. Oh boy, yeah. And uh, oh, later, uh, well, at another time, um, uh, I got a tour of uh, ILM. Uh, mm-hmm. I had some Japanese visitors. It was uh, uh, the uh, owner of uh, Kyoto Productions. They make in Japan. It's a garage kit uh, model kit company, and uh, model kits are different over there because they're solid. And uh, you get, like, the whole arm and the whole leg, and then you can actually shape it with your tools 
so you can position it the way you want, but it's monsters and dinosaurs and everything. And um, uh, they, uh, uh, my wife and I had been invited over to Japan in um, uh, 1985, and uh, we got to tour his, uh, uh, his factory there and meet all these amazing artists who were sculpting these astounding dinosaurs and monster things, Godzilla, all this stuff, you know, all licensed and they're the top. They're actually one of the top co companies of that. And uh, so later, uh, I got contacted, and if we could meet them, they were coming to San Francisco, and they had a, a they wanted me to kind of escort them to ILM. So we got to uh, visit ILM, and this is at a time when they were doing uh, the Star Tours uh, effects. Oh, and also um, uh, Young Sherlock Holmes, and. Um, uh, we got to see the the Death Star from uh, Return of the Jedi. You know the unfinished Death Star where they're still assembling it. Yeah, and, that's uh, too. And uh, have you seen Star Tours? You ever been to Disney World or? Yes, know, I remember that. But uh, they go through these star crystals, and they were photographing them against the green screen, green screen with the um, uh, uh, motion cameras, you know, set up on the tracks and everything so they could repeat movements with different lighting effects and all that. And, uh, uh, oh, yeah, I remember a really cool matte painting from Enemy Mine, Lou Gossett and Dennis Quaid. Uh, also uh, makeup stuff done by uh, Chris Wayless uh, Industries. But, uh, yeah, that was that was just amazing. Uh, I saw... Um, Dennis Murin and uh, uh, oh boy, it was got tour of the place. It was just amazing. What time? <laughs> yeah, that that stuff that, that that never leaves you. And I mean, seeing the miniatures and stuff like that. I mean, like I said, I love that stuff. And you know, I, I already mentioned, you know, I grew up on watching claymation movies and miniatures, and it, it's really so cool watching that. Like, if I <clears throat> excuse me, if I see a movie that has any type of behind-the-scenes footage where they show building the models and all that, I, I, I eat it up, and I watch it over and over again, taking it in. It's just so cool to me, and it, it's a lost art. It's a shame that they, you know, think that CGI is the way to go. This is tangible, and it's just... But the way I see it, they can coexist, uh, but, like, right now, um, there's all these cartoon animators from the... You know, from Disney Studios and other places, mm -hmm. and uh, nobody's making those movies. So this art, the complexity of it, is going to be lost because so much of it uh, is beyond putting into a book, you know, yeah. or a series of videos. It's there's uh, there's so so much acting going into these drawings and making that connection, and uh, that's workshop kind of stuff, you know. And uh, it's just a shame that, that that's being lost. Now, there is a follow-through with digital animation, you know, when you're doing the Pixar kind of things. But um, uh, still, it's cartoons, it's drawings come alive, and it'd just be a shame to lose that. Uh, and the yeah. world's big enough to support those kind of films. Uh, Wholeheartedly agree with you. <laughs> they worked in the past, they'll work again. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there, there is a place for CGI in the world. Not, you know, I don't hate it. I love it when I see it. But it, it's the fact that people think that it, it, it's just they, they, they're, they are forgetting about the past. And 
You know, there, there's an old saying, there's no school like the old school. And there's a reason why, you know, Disney was on top of the animation world with the way that they would do just the layers of the artwork. And just, it, it was fascinating enough just to think about how much work went into it. And it's, and blending them together, it doesn't work. And I mean, like over the years, you know, like as a child, I grew up, you know, on Disney and I grew up on, you know, Looney Tunes cartoons. And now I'm a father of two. And my daughters, the cartoons that they watch, they don't put nearly enough work into it or, or make it as detailed or looking as nice or as colorful or as vivid or, or, or have depth to it the way that the original stuff does. And, and they're using CGI, which is supposed to be better than the, the stuff that, you know, we were watching when we were children there's that stuff you know it had that chuck jones energy and you know mm -hmm. this liveliness and uh, i'm it's more like stand-up routines now with Renny and yeah lines back and forth but uh i then again i'm not watching all that much of that but yeah i'm <laughs> with you with the classics it just it's just a shame that kids can't you know that they need to get exposed to the old stuff as well because uh, mm -hmm. it's a riot. I mean, Bugs Bunny. Oh, give me a. You know, who doesn't love him? Oh yeah, no, mm -hmm. believe me. I, I I I I fought tooth and nail to get my kids to watch Looney Tunes, and they still enjoy it today. They they you know my oldest daughter she loves the artwork that's in it. My my youngest she still loves the comedy behind it. We we still watch the old VHS tapes that I had, and I think they appreciate. They they definitely appreciate it because you, you I, I I'd hate to see this stuff just waste away. And you brought it up perfectly. Ren and Stimpy, that was funny when I was 12 years old. But now that I'm 34 years old, I can just watch it and be like, huh, okay. Meanwhile, I can still watch Bugs Bunny have an argument with Elmer Fudd and laugh about it. And it's not the nostalgia <laughs> talk. Uh, you can watch Ren and Stimpy today and be like, how the hell did the censors get away with that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the edgy 90s. So, yeah, I mean, if they, whoever's listening to this, if you... If you haven't seen The Fly 2, you should check it out. Uh, it's not just some cornball, cheeseball copy of the first movie. It's very unique. It goes its own direction, and it help, it continues the story of the first movie. And, and so, yeah, check it out. Anyone else got any comments? I'd say the same thing. Definitely check it out. It's Like I said, it's underrated, and it's also underappreciated. Excuse me. And I, I mean, really, the, the the one thing that I took away from watching The Fly 2 again was that it was it, it, you really didn't see, once again, a whole lot of movies that, you know, were remakes and they actually went on to make a sequel and a good sequel at that. This pretty much knocked it out of the park. Oh, as a last comment, uh, I, this has been a lot of fun. I really thanks for inviting me into this discussion. It's a lot of fun. If you guys ever want to talk Harry Hawson films or Willis O'Brien stuff, I know Aww. tons about these guys, and I I do your man. I can tell I you love stories. That. We're, we're, you know what? We got to do a, a thing of Jason and the Argonauts maybe someday, and, and then. Oh, there you go. We well we we, we could definitely bring you back for that. Jason and the Argonauts is awesome. I love the work on Medusa's head. Just ah, oh, that that stuff I love. It's fantastic. I, I got a second that. I got a second that. <laughs> That's a lot. What are your closing? Uh, my closing thought is this movie is a lot better than the uh, title would lead you to believe. He's like, oh, fly too. That's got to be like some made for DVD, made for VHS piece of crap. It's a legitimate movie, and uh, it's well worth watching. I agree. And uh, yeah, special thanks to our guest, Tom Sullivan. Uh, you were awesome. and. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have to have you back. We'll do something like a Jason and the Argonauts or something Harry has, and we got to do that. He was a master ahead of his time. 
but thank you so much, sir, for coming in and speaking with us today. You did a wonderful job on this. You really, truly did. And it, it was really great talking to you, especially about, well, we got to talk about the old stuff. I, I can't wait. And I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. You, you did the stop motion on Evil Dead. You scared the hell out of me as a kid. Thank you very much. <laughs> I appreciate that. That's what we were trying to do. There we go. Yeah, we, can, did, we can get him back and we can talk about, you know, the Evil Dead. <laughs> yeah. I don't think, no, I gonna, I don't think anyone's ever asked Tom about the Evil Dead before. <laughs> What's Evil Dead? Is that like that TV show? <laughs> yeah, so, something, something groovy, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, some guy with a chin. The first time that I saw Evil Dead, I was a kid, and when when those arms popped out of the bodies, that scared the oh, crap man. out of me. Like I, I, th that was one of those ah, and I got up and I ran out of the room type of things. I was like <laughs> five years old. Perfect. But, that, how old were you? I was about five at the time. There was a kid in the '80s who was eight years old and saw Evil Dead. It uh -huh. took 15 years of intensive therapy in a soundproof room just to get him to stop screaming. Oh, what? that's pretty bad. <laughs> you should have had to put it on the box. <laughs> uh, I saw that. I saw uh, Evil Dead 2. Uh, I, uh, my wife and I saw it in uh, San Francisco, and um, mm -hmm. we were living there at the time. And uh, the guys in the row in front of us, when that happened, they all leapt to their feet. I you know, There's something about Sam's films where there's involuntary crowd movement you know where it just mm -hmm. makes you just get up and scream right. remember i thought i'd go down to market street to look at all these grind great grindhouse theaters when evil dead was playing and even in the afternoon it's like packing houses and uh people are yelling at no ash idiot don't go in the door you <laughs> you idiot don't go in there but then again ash was always an idiot though that was his what thing. other movies do people yell at the screen like that it, it was just amazing i hadn't uh i hadn't run across mm. that i mean in uh, you know, uh only horror movies only horror movies have i ever seen yeah. movies where people actually said no don't don't go in there what the hell's wrong with you why are you doing that no oh so <laughs> stupid going up the stairs you know and, and then eventually they started taking the cliche and it was like, well, let's show the audience what, what happens if they don't go up the stairs. And they wind up getting killed faster. You know, that, that, that's what I love so much about horror movies is that it does listen to the audience like that. And then it, it just, it, it invokes that response out of people. Mm -hmm. well, well, here, I'll yeah. share this one. I, I, I was about that. I, I was about that age. I was eight years old when I saw the Amityville Horror. And everybody can laugh about this one now, but when, but when I looked at that scene when Margot Kidder looks out the window and the red eyes stared back at her, I couldn't look out dark windows at night until I was 18. Nor should you. <laughs> and then I watch it as that I'm an adult, and I'm just like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> you know, when I was a kid, uh, uh, I was like, like 10 years old, and I had uh, my sister Kathy is a year older, and my brother Mike is a year younger. And uh, my parents, our par parents were out for uh, a party or something. We're going to be back till one. And we mm -hmm. talked the babysitter to let us watch The House on Haunted Hill, the Vincent Price thing. Oh, no. And, and uh, we made it until that little witch slides out on the skateboard, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that, that freaked us out. That's enough. We turned off the TV, went to bed. 
tried to sleep. <laughs> yeah, we're done. And of course, you look at it today, and it's oh my god, it's so hokey. But it's so <laughs> weird how how these films affect you. So you like yeah. a, a little kid seeing something uh, like oh my god. Oh, uh, I know. They they had an amazing effect, and they stick with you. That's why I love horror. You know? Yeah. Uh, but once again, I really appreciate you sitting down and chatting with us today. Thank you so much. It was wonderful talking with you. All right. Everybody have a good night now. All right. See you later. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, thanks. This is awesome. Yeah, it was absolutely excellent. Uh, I think we kept that moving and entertaining and uh, lots right. of fun. You had a good crowd there. Awesome. Well, that's the flight too. And all the girls say I'm pretty fly for a white guy. Pretty fly for a white guy.